There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday at 10 a.m. ET to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Chris Naismith, CEO of Audette.io, an experienced values-driven leader. Chris has a diverse background ranging from international aid work to energy consulting for Fortune 500 organizations. Early in his career, Chris recognized the broad and lasting impacts that smarter engineering can have on the built environment. With residential and commercial buildings generating more than one-fifth of all worldwide carbon emissions, Chris chose to focus on mitigating this impact. He's now the CEO of a growing startup, Audette, and he leads a team of scientists and engineers working to create data-driven carbon reduction plans for some of the world's largest organizations. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Delighted to have you here. Uh, just to get started, we want to make sure our entrepreneurial listeners know that uh, there's information, good information that they need to know coming out of this program. So tell us, what were the top pieces of advice that you hope entrepreneurs will take away from this conversation? Great question. And the, the, the one that I always come back to on a regular basis is that startups are not a business. Um, the way that Steve Blank, one of my sort of mentors describes it is a startup is an organization formed to search for a repeatable and scalable business model. And so the temptation in build in building something is always to focus on, on the business. But in fact, really what we have to do is to ruthlessly pursue the value that we're creating by running lots and lots of experiments and by being willing to cast aside things that don't work. And I think that's really the piece that defines a, a startup as opposed to an operating business. I'm so glad to hear you quoting Steve Blank. He's uh, one of my heroes, uh, and, and, and I love his work. He's the one who says, there are no answers in your office. 
<laughs> get out of the building. Get out of the building because you won't find any of the solutions you're looking for <laughs> sitting around the desk. And obviously, uh, you know, that's the idea of get it, get out and touch and, 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 and get as many customer touch points as you can and, and be that flexible person because chances are your first idea isn't really what the customer wants. And there's only one way to find out what they do want. So glad to hear you say that. Are you following that, 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 that piece of advice at Adet? We are, yes. Uh, so we've probably conducted more than 200 customer discovery interviews, um, really premised on the fact that not only is, is it uh, likely that we're wrong about our hypothesis, um, but just starting with the assumption that we are wrong and that the only way to, to really validate or invalidate our hypothesis is to talk to real customers about what they need. We're starting with the premise that we are wrong. That, that's beautiful. How, how did you get to that epiphany so early on? Uh, by being wrong a lot. <laughs> by, by, you know, it, one of the hardest things, it sounds simple, get out of the building, but it is, as professionals, sometimes one of the hardest things to do, to admit that we might be wrong. And, and what's scary about getting out of the building is A, you know, getting in touch with people that you don't know, and B, having them tell you that what you thought is incorrect. Um, and the way to mitigate that fear is to never build anything until you, you've validated or invalidated your idea. Right. Tell us about Odette. Um, I could try to explain it, but I think I'd rather hear you explain it. I think you'll do a better job. Sure. Yeah, I do this. I do this a lot. So um, the but world you've, is trying. You've put, it's not just that you do it a lot. You've put a lot of thought into it. I ha yeah, I have put a lot of thought into it. So maybe a little bit about where I'm coming from. Um, my background is in civil and mechanical engineering, and I actually consider myself to be a recovering engineer. Um, I, I spent the last decade in consulting to large corporate building owners uh, and institutional building owners, cities, uh, hospitals, uh, municipalities, on how to execute their carbon reduction strategies. And so usually with the touch point is that they have tweeted that they're going carbon neutral or, or something of the sort, but they don't actually have an actionable strategy. So as a consultant, what I would do would come and crawl all over your buildings and find all the opportunities and put them into a report and present them to you so that you can build a capital plan around it. And, uh, you know, that's a, a great consulting business. You get paid $20,000 a report. Uh, but as is the case with most consulting is expensive and it's slow. And as we continue to do this work, we started to see the ask go from, okay, look at this one building, to look at these five buildings, to look at 10, 20, 50, 100 buildings. And there was a certain point at which we couldn't even do that kind of work. And the price tag was too high to get it through their processes. So I took a step back and I, I looked at um, LinkedIn. I did a bit of back of the envelope math and I added up all the sustainability professionals in the world and realized that it was going to take us 200 years collectively if we were all working on the problem to even surface all of the investment opportunities, the necessary investments that we're going to need to make in our building stock to get to carbon neutral. Um, so with that in mind, there has to be a better way. And so we kind of closed our eyes and said, what has to be true to get for the global economy to move to carbon neutral? 
And the answer to that is that we need a carbon reduction plan for every existing building on the planet. And that was kind of our light bulb moment was, well, this is a data exercise. You know, all we, what we need to do is we need to pull out the useful data and turn it into business intelligence that all of these real estate owners can use to start retrofitting their properties. Can we go back a little bit? Let's, let's, for those who haven't been following, um, what's the issue here about retrofitting and the issue about carbon? I mean, obviously, we're talking about climate change, uh, the need to make our buildings more resilient because we've got a lot of older housing stock uh, built in a different day and time, maybe when energy was was cheaper and, and we didn't mind wasting it so much. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about how you got into this en energy efficiency work and why it matters. Yeah. Um, so buildings, as you mentioned, make up a huge portion of the, the global emissions. Um, that's both things that they directly consume. So purchasing and combusting natural gas, um, but also things that are consumed on their behalf. So electric utilities in many jurisdictions burn coal or oil uh, to produce that electricity. And then there's all the emissions associated with the building materials. Uh, the production of concrete is a, is a huge one. And so the materials that are chosen and the systems that we use to heat and cool our buildings uh, represent the single biggest uh, segment of our global emissions. And so tackling them is an absolute imperative if we're going to get to, uh, you know, a reasonably cool future. And and when you worked as an energy efficiency engineer, were you doing that on your own or as an entrepreneur with your own business or as part of a firm? No, I was working with a, a consulting firm that was not my own um, with a team of about 30 energy efficiency engineers based in Vancouver. Wow. 30 engineers. And with all the... And I, I love this calculation that you made with all the... Uh, energy efficiency engineers in the world <laughs> put in one room, it would still take them 200 years to come up with a carbon reduction plan for each building. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a punch in the gut. Um, so the secret is, is technology, I hope, automation? Yeah. The, what was beautiful about our building stock is we, what we sort of transitioned to many years ago, probably about 100 years ago, was this global building is that buildings that you find in, uh, you know, Miami to New York to Dubai to Hong Kong all follow a very similar design pattern. Um, and while the weather changes, um, the needs of the humans don't really change very much. We need light and we need a certain temperature range to feel comfortable. And so when you actually look at it from um, what we, we call it archetypes, when you look at it from an archetype view, you can actually find repeating patterns in the building stock that indicate one retrofit measure versus another. So if you can pull out the appropriate level of contextual data from those buildings, you can know specifically what you need to do about them in order to, to eliminate their carbon footprint. And I, I got to just interject in this, and we'll get to back to Odette in a second. But last summer... Um, there were some amazing heat events in British Columbia. You're in Victoria. Um, and my understanding is that that sort of really upped the ante in terms of how we're going to make uh, buildings in British Columbia, you know, pro along with the rest of Canada. But, but British Columbia has, has this, this real issue that uh, 
that I think it, its buildings were really not ready for the temperature extremes that we saw last summer, and uh, people have to do something differently. So, so, so uh, is that true? Let me just <laughs> make sure that, that, that that assumption is right. And and what kind of pressure does that put on this whole industry uh, in, in in Lower Mainland of BC? Yeah, and it, and it is really you know, emblematic of what's happening all over the world. Not only did we have a heat wave, but we had a smoke wave at the same time. So you, not only did we not have the appropriate cooling systems, we didn't have the appropriate ventilation systems to maintain indoor air quality. And so um, what it, you know, obviously that's a crisis, but it also represents a huge opportunity. Um, in British Columbia, as in many jurisdictions, we have a very clean electrical grid. Um, and we're also combusting a lot of natural gas to produce heating, right? But if we can move that heating load to the electrical grid, we get 98% carbon reduction by a technology called a heat pump. Um, the co-benefit of that heat pump is it also provides cooling. So you kind of push the business case up in time um, and make the, the co-benefits of doing that retrofit that much better when you take into account the fact that we need increased cooling capacity. So it's actually uh, a huge boon for the heat pump industry and a huge step forward for the carbon reduction in buildings industry in BC that people are now considering, well, I'm gonna need cooling for next summer um, because you can also take care of the heating carbon emissions. Right. Uh, what's the expression? Never waste a good crisis. So I guess that's what's going on there. So tell us about Odette and how it works, because I think you're going at things a little bit differently. Yeah. So we are a business to business software as a service platform that takes operating data out of real estate and turns it into actionable business intelligence. And what I mean by that is buildings are generating a lot of great data all the time, particularly the segment that we currently work in, which is large corporate real estate. So anytime a, a maintenance worker is dispatched, there's a record of that. Um, anytime a new piece of equipment is installed, there's some kind of installation records. Uh, when a property is bought or sold, there's a asset condition assessment report, it's called, that that tells you about you know the current state of the building, what deferred maintenance exists. And so there's all this rich data that that buildings are producing just by virtue of being operated. And that really contains all of the data that you need in order to make um, capital plans in general. OK, what needs to be replaced when how you know, when should we expect to invest in this property? But um, specifically for us, capital plans with the lens of carbon reduction. So a building in its life cycle will have all sorts of things you know anyone who owns a house or any kind of building knows that you have to put a bunch of money into it over time right so every piece of equipment every light bulb everything has a life cycle and there's certain points where you have to spend money on it well if we can couple all of those points with the with the carbon reduction business case um, then we can actually provide a decision making tool by which you can see okay well if i did the the normal replacement, the like-for-like -like replacement, it's going to have this financial picture in the future. Um, but if I did the carbon, the carbon negative thing here, it'll have this business case, and you can actually compare the two. You mentioned all that uh, uh, data that so many buildings have. How? Do, what's in the data that helps us get a better idea of 
what kind of renovations are needed to reduce the the, the the carbon footprint and, you know, get us anywhere close to the net zero that we all have to get to. Well, what's in that data and what does it tell you? Great question. What, the outcome that we're really targeting is a, a business case. You know, you need, you need to make this investment. You need to understand, um, is it a good investment? Will it get me towards my goals? And the three main data sources that we collect are obviously energy data. So we'll pull in data off of all of the, the utility bills that you're paying. Uh, how, how much energy are you consuming? The second piece is uh, the equipment data. So let's what we do is we build out an, an inventory of all, everything that consumes a significant amount of energy, all of your boilers, all of your chillers, pumps, motors, fan systems. Um, and then we layer in uh, how big is it? And how old is it? From there, we're able to then break up that energy load into what, how much, quantify how much each piece of equipment is using and how much carbon each piece of equipment is emitting. And the last data stream is all the contextual information about the market. So what are your, um, what incentives are available in your region? What's the carbon tax like in your region and how is it going to change? Um, how much carbon is associated with your electricity versus your, your natural gas? Everything that helps to provide that sort of financial context in which you're operating. And from there, it all gets kind of bundled together into a roadmap. So here's all of the places. So you, you want to get to carbon neutral by 2050. That's a very typical goal. Well, what do you have to spend every year from now until then to actually achieve that? And if, uh, because if we don't have that picture, then we're just kind of shooting in the dark. We're spending a, a arbitrary amount of money on retrofitting without a really good understanding of where it's actually going to get us where we need to go. So, so, so what, what, what does the data actually tell us? It says, okay, we need to put a new outer skin on the building. We need to change the windows. We need to change the boilers. Um, you, you know, what, what does it, what does all this data, uh, what action does it spark? It, it, it tells you when a specific element of the building needs to be replaced or retrofit and uh, how much you need to spend on that and what the outcomes are going to be in terms of uh, cost efficiency savings, um, the incentives you could expect to get back from the government, uh, the, the, the carbon taxes that you're mitigating and um, the the what you what you should expect to spend on it and that is enough data to provide to the cfo that will approve those spending decisions for the next year and so you come out with sort of a customized report for each building or portfolio of buildings and then hand them off to the the client well that would be the consulting approach what what we do is we provide a a dashboard where the user can actually run different scenarios um, to to see to to model out what it's going to take to get to to their goals. So rather than pro providing a static report, um, we connect to connect to the building and and maintain that that dashboard such that any time you need to build a new capital plan, which is you know usually in business every year, 
um, you have the freshest business cases for all of your assets. And then as as things change in your portfolio, uh, you know, you bought a property, you sold a property, um, something failed and you replaced it. Uh, the context is always up to date for that decision making. And uh, let's see where the rubber hits the road. So as a result of you doing this work, are you finding that uh, there's, uh, you know, that there, there's a direct response in terms of business accepting or the, the property owners accepting these challenges and embarking on these projects? Absolutely. In fact, the, the market has really shifted. It uh, used to be in my consulting practice, I, I spent a lot of time convincing people that to, to do the right thing. But what we're seeing now is that it is self-evident that we have to move to carbon neutral. The, we pretty much exclusively work with groups who have already committed to making these investments. Um, and the reason that they're doing it is not necessarily out of altruism, but because um, business viability is being threatened as uh, you know, a lot of our, our, our clients are commercial asset managers who take money from institutional investors like pension funds. Well, when your pen, the pension fund says, hey, we're going to get our entire investment portfolio to net zero, um, or, or if you don't do it, we're going to take our money out of your asset fund. Well, that is a much different, you know, risk scenario than just having a slightly higher operation, operating expenditure. And so um, we see we're seeing the market being highly motivated towards retrofitting. And all we need to do is show them the pathway. Well, we know that Mark Carney, former governor of the Bank of Canada, former governor of the Bank of England, he's out there pressuring uh, the investment community to become uh, much more aware. And, and, and the investment community, as you say, has been changing and, and getting uh, much more aggressive about pursuing zero carbon goals for a long time. So you're telling me that you're, you're on the other end of that. You're seeing the result. You're seeing them uh, suddenly uh, get religion. Yeah. And it's a really inspiring market movement. Uh, Bill Gates calls this our industrial revolution. And we're, we're seeing it play out in real time. Uh, Mark Carney is a, a great example. He, he is founded the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative. There's currently 220 signatories that control 57 trillion in assets worldwide um, that are targeting net zero by 2050 or sooner. Um, just on our platform alone, we have uh, users that have 960 billion in real estate assets under management. Can you give us an idea of uh, sort of the current state of Odette, you know, are you out there in the marketplace? How many employees do you have? Are you eyeing clients just in Canada, North America, around the world? Yeah, of course. So we spent the better part of uh, 2020 doing what startups do, which is validating product market fit. So building just enough product to um, be able to serve the needs of our early users, um, building uh, deploying paid pilots to to these groups that uh, allow us to validate exactly what features to build. Um, on the back of that traction, which is notable, uh, we raised a seed round and are now expanding the the technology. We're currently uh, a group of, of eleven, and we operate uh, 
out of Canada, but we really the our client base is international. So we've done projects in in the states, uh, in in Canada. Um, we've got asks from uh, the UK and from Hong Kong as well. And given that buildings are global, it actually doesn't take very much for us to reorient to a new region. It is really just about incorporating the the regional context for the like regulatory and finance environments. And so it's this year uh, or 2022, we'll see us move from our base in Western Canada and Eastern Canada down to the Pacific Northwest and into the uh, Eastern seaboard of the US. Fantastic. I've got to ask, does your solution involve AI? I mean, artificial intelligence is all about uh, finding finding the patterns in the data. Is that, is that part of the, the service you're providing? Yeah, it's a great question. So the it, it, it does, yes. Um, machine learning or machine intelligence uh, more accurately. And what what we have to do to to really deploy at scale is to learn as much as we can about the built environment in order to be able to recognize patterns. So our first iteration is really focused on the uh, uh, sort of top level of real estate, the those large distributed portfolios, because a as I mentioned, they have a strong motivation, and b they have good data. So as we serve them, we're we're learning more and more about what we can expect to see in commercial buildings, which will allow us to then pivot out to the the lower end of the real estate market, those smaller portfolios, those ones with maybe less sophisticated data sets. But by that point, we're able to fill in the gaps through machine intelligence. And finally, uh, the really exciting part for us is city scale auditing. So once we understand exactly what to expect when we encounter commercial buildings and what measures make sense, where they are able to fit, feed in really big data sets like um, a LIDAR flyover of the city of Vancouver or, um, you know, all of the boiler hookup or cooling tower inspection records or the tax records or, you know, the, the possibilities are really endless when you know what to look for, because what we really need as a as a global society is the ability to audit entire geographies. And that's really what we're working towards. Wow. I mean, they, they, uh, Steve Blank would be the first to say to a startup, find a big problem and solve it. So uh, you're certainly onto, onto a big problem. Can you take us back to those early days when you were just searching for product market fit and you were doing all those customer discovery uh, interviews? Um, how much did what you intended to do? How much... How much has that changed over that time from the initial plan? Maybe we can do this to what you're offering now. Can you take us through how that's evolved a little bit? Absolutely. So we're also, you know, big fans of Simon Sinek, who says, start with why. So from the beginning, we always had why. Why are we doing this? What, what needs to happen? What needs to be true about the world for us as a global community to get where we need to go? And that really hasn't changed. Um, you know, the, the writing's been on the wall for a long time. But pretty much everything else has. Uh, you know, we we started from a place of thinking we could just make a business case based on uh, improving operational efficiency for real estate. Now you'll save three bucks a square foot, um, but it, actually that's not true. Uh, when we start talking about getting entire communities to to net zero, 
the you cannot rely on there being a positive business case. What you really need to do is find those other pieces of value creation like total asset value or comfort, as you talked about with heat pumps or all of these other pieces that um, really make up the whole picture in order to to shift the, the market. And that's really what we've been just actively trying to discover over and over again. And it's taking us really far away from our initial, initial hypothesis um, to, to find this segment of the market that is really concerned about risk and business viability. And when you get down to that level, it really is a matter of survival. And that's where you know the pain really turns into action. Right, right. Um- such an interesting area. How did you find the, the so so you need a lot of really smart people in your team to develop this product and understand uh, the the challenge here and be able to speak with uh, you know authentically and authoritatively with uh, very sophisticated clients. So tell me how you found the talent in this marketplace to to put together a team to do all this. Yeah, it's a great question, and I think one of the the best things about the startup startup ecosystem is it's full of people who just deal in relationship capital. Um, investors are like that. The um, accelerator ecosystem is like that. There's tons of advisors, folks in your position who meet all sorts of people, and so and they're really eager to help do networking. And so leveraging that has really been a panacea for us. Is you know taking part in six accelerators programs at this point, including um, Google Cloud and Creative Destruction Labs. And and the the intros that we get from there really do help to attract the right talent and, and or or where you don't have in-house talent, find external advisors. And the other one is PR. Uh, you know, people love to get involved in projects that have a mission and that have some traction and they can see their own values re- reflected in, in those things. And, and that's really been a, a boon for us in attracting the right talent. So you're trying to solve a really huge problem and give, uh, give us uh, a big step up on the, the retrofitting of buildings to reduce the, 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 the carbon losses there. So that's a project that a lot of people want to join you on? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think any of us can ignore the effects of of climate change anymore. You know, it's every winter there's a storm that devastates a certain region. There's a, you know, in British Columbia, fires in every single summer, you're getting bombarded by smoke. And I think everybody is looking for some way that they can contribute positively to that. And by providing a a pathway that that not only, um, you know, helps them to see it see their own impact but also creating a software company that is best in class uh the you know one thing we look to is is tesla as a a business model quite often is you know before tesla it was kind of a sacrifice to own an electric car right you did it because it was the right thing to do well by focusing on building the best possible car period they were able to to sort of, it's almost a Trojan horse for electric cars, right? It, it, it lets electric cars enter the market, but only by virtue of being the best possible car company. And that's really where we're focused on as well, is by being the best possible software company, we're able to 
bring a mission to bear, but we won't be able to do it unless we're you know absolutely best in class. Chris, obviously it takes a lot of green to go green, but according to your website, Odette can, can, can help give its clients streamlined access to grants and financing for retrofitting. I'm just wondering if you can speak to the, the cost of retrofits and what kind of uh, uh, government assistance or other forms of assistance is available to help uh, companies that are, you know, uh, not sure about the cost of this uh, pro- of these projects to get them to go ahead and do it. Yeah, that's a great question. So this is what uh, Bill Gates calls our green premium. Uh, the the cost disparity between doing the regular thing versus doing the green thing. And only really do we see markets shift where the, that disparity shrinks enough. Um, and one of the key mechanisms that governments have for shrinking that is by offering grants and incentives. And to speak to one of the things that you know we didn't think about when we when we started this, um, it's, it's actually a problem of equity. As jurisdictions start to tighten regulations, the people who are most impacted are the ones who historically have had the least resources to deal with it. So there's there's been groups who have been working at energy efficiency and carbon efficiency for many years and investing lots of money into it. Um, and those who are going to be immediately affected next year by the least aggressive carbon targets are going to be the ones who have are least equipped to deal with it. So governments are recognizing that and putting money into to solving that issue. So, you know, it really does depend based on what the technology is, but somewhere up to 30% of the capital cost of any major retrofit can be covered by government grants and incentives. And because they are government grants and incentives, they're quite often a bit bureaucratic to to access. So by creating those relationships between Audet and those entities, we're able to streamline access to that capital and make the access of those uh, that money that much easier. I, I'm impressed by your passion for, for this project. I mean, so many people have been early environmental crusaders and, you know, have been kicked around and dashed up against the rocks and been disappointed by the ability of, you know, government or business or consumers for that matter to actually you know make the hard decisions and and do the hard work that's required uh to save the planet so wondering how you stay motivated and 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 how you keep the team motivated yeah great question uh, the you know i always come back to start with why you know the the easiest way to stay motivated is to have a continuous reminder of, of why we do these things and the, that why it becomes more and more apparent every year that we um, don't deal with climate change. Um, and then the other one is is recognizing the, the self-interest of humans. You know, the we, we keep people motivated by giving them good jobs and, uh, you know, making them feel comfortable, uh, recognizing their effort and and uh, celebrating that. Um, and so then we have a, a group of people around us who are, you know, happy to be where they are and, and motivated to work towards the, the same goal. It's really a community and, and it's much easier to stay mo- motivated when you're part of a community that is, you know, positively reinforcing what you're doing. That applies both to people who work at Audette, but also the community of advisors and investors uh, that we've uh, accumulated around us. And the last piece is 
we're fortunate enough to not have to engage in those negative conversations anymore. There's enough of a market momentum that the most of the rooms that that we're in, we're not debating climate change. We're just talking about the solutions. And uh, from that perspective, it's that much easier to stay motivated. But the, the recent history of humanity has been, yes, climate change, um, but we'll we'll worry about it tomorrow. I mean, constantly putting off. Is that changing as well? Absolutely. Uh, for my having been in this for the last uh, 12 years, really, you know, uh, in the trenches, uh, the, the dialogue has really changed. And I think that's in part psychological. I think 2020 is a lot closer to 2030 than 2019 was. Um, but I think what we're seeing is a strong movement in investment markets, and that's really putting a crunch on pe- on the people who own real estate. Uh, there's an estimated uh, 11 trillion in real estate assets that will be completely unsellable by 2050 if there isn't some action taken. And so that's a huge bag to be left holding. You'd, in in the UK, you can't rent your building to anybody if it doesn't meet a certain energy label. You can't rent it to anyone in the Netherlands if if it doesn't meet an even higher energy label. And so we're starting to see the impact of regulations really take hold and impose a lot of risk on the people who hold real estate assets. And I think that that, at least in this segment, is really making things move quickly. In fact, most of the companies in our space, ours included, are currently taking wait lists for customers because of the, the strong market movement. Uh, what I take away from that is $11 trillion in assets could be unsaleable by 2050 if they don't do the work uh, prior to that. So that's the, the, that's a pretty stunning number. Um, and obviously, it points to a big marketplace ahead. If you were an entrepreneur, but not an engineer and not a software whiz, um, starting out in, in this business, um, what do you what what do you see as some of the other opportunities in in order to get in on retrofitting and 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 uh, climate mitigation? Are there other opportunities out there you see that, man, I wish people I know would get into this and this and this? Absolutely, I think one of the ones that the most exciting for me is, and we're only tangentially involved in, is carbon negative materials. So there's a lot of movement around um, Carbon Cure is a concrete company where the actual act of making concrete takes carbon out of the atmosphere. So not only can we start to, like we're really focused on mitigating existing emissions, but there's a there's an opportunity for cities to shift from being this carbon emissions hub to this basically carbon capture hub. If we start to retrofit all of our roofing materials, building materials, um, all of the things that go into cities with things that actually pull carbon out of the atmosphere, it's it's almost reversing the effect of, of the negative effect that cities have and turning them into a boon for the environment. Um, that I think is a really exciting area of, of this industry. That's very cool. Can you think of like one more really interesting entrepreneurial area of opportunity in, in related to the space that you're in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the biggest challenges for this industry is the maturity of its data. So there's a strong need for tools that uh, better help the the other business processes. So maintenance, I mentioned maintenance record keeping tools. Well, a lot of them are a bit uh, sort of older enterprise tools. There's a strong opportunity for disruption in that space. 
and many of the other business tools that are used for managing real estate are similarly poised for disruption. So there's a lot of opportunity there as well. And you mentioned you're involved with the Creative Destruction Lab, which is a really cool accelerator program that's available, what, in five or six cities across Canada. Um, wondering, are you seeing a, a, any other exciting uh, environment-related companies in, in, in that program? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The cohort we chose to be involved in is actually the the, what they call the prime stream. So the actual, it's it's more focused on software than it is on climate. They have a climate stream, but what we, you know, to, to circle back to us wanting to be the best possible software company and that happens to have a climate impact, really focused on gaining insights from those people who have built SaaS products in, in any industry. Um, so within that cohort, we're, we're not really plugged into the, the, the other climate companies. But we have um, been part of a couple other climate accelerators. And so a, a couple interesting ones that come to mind are um, greening data centers. Uh, there's some really neat technologies around uh, you know, different computing technology we can use to, to reduce our carbon footprints there. And then there's a, a bunch of really interesting um, financing plays where somebody will come in and retrofit your property for you and pay for it and then let you pay them back out of the the energy savings so um block power is one of them out of the states uh there's a, there's a couple other lighting ones that i can't think of the name of right now but that's a really interesting way to get over the the capital expenditure problem that we we face once you once you've got the business case in hand where does the money come from so obviously the the space that you're in is already very innovative and i guess that uh, helps you sell, right? Everybody's looking for solutions. The, the, the old systems, the old construction styles, the old construction materials, the old models, the old record keeping, none of that is sufficient anymore. So a lot of room for improvement, a lot of, uh, of motivation to, to, to change and invest in innovation. Absolutely. And to sort of go back to our, our, our first point is really get out of the building. You know, if you're interested in, in finding a solution find somebody who's got the problem and they be if they have a real problem they'll be happy to talk about it all day long i was going to sum up by <laughs> by mentioning steve blank and get out of the building again but you did a better job of it so we'll, we'll, we'll live with that final question for chris naismith of audette.io based in vancouver what is one actionable piece of advice that you hope entrepreneurs could take away from this conversation and implement in their own businesses? Yeah, to, I guess to avoid belaboring the get out of the building, which is the number one piece of, piece of advice, um, is to build a network. You know, this, this is a marathon, not a sprint, uh, particularly in the climate space. We have to be, you know, ready to dedicate significant chunks of our lives um, to something that can be quite lonely and be quite difficult to do. And so a, a strong network is a panacea for that. Uh, build a network of people who are similarly motivated and will cheer you on as you go. Fantastic. Great advice um, from a great entrepreneur. I'm really excited about what you're doing with Odette and your team there. And we're going to be watching you very closely and hope to talk to you again when, 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 when things are underway. And, uh, you know, you need to get out of the office. Exactly. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Best of luck. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.